0: The following is an iHeartRadio podcast. The
1: soundtrack show will begin in 5, 4,
0: 3. Casablanca is largely considered to be one of Max Steiner's greatest film scores. But there's just one problem Steiner hated it. This is the soundtrack show.
2: no escape against this fascinating background is woven the story of an imperishable love and the enthralling saga of six desperate people each in Casablanca to keep an appointment with destiny
3: I was willing to shoot Captain Renault, and I'm willing to shoot you all right Major you asked for it
0: Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show, I'm your host, David W. Collins, and this episode is looking at you, kid. The music of Casablanca, a movie from 1942 by Warner Brothers Pictures, written by, well, written by a lot of people. Produced by the legendary Hal B. Wallace, directed by Michael Curtiz, starring Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Paul Henry, Claude Rains, Conrad Veidt, Peter Lorre, Sidney Greenstreet, a whole parade of classic Hollywood stars with a film score by the legendary composer Max Steiner. This episode will focus entirely on Casablanca, and less on Max Steiner and his background. For more on him, please take a listen to my episode called Max Steiner, From King Kong to Casablanca. Casablanca is considered by many people to be one of the greatest pictures to ever emerge from the classic Hollywood studio system, for a variety of reasons. It features great writing, great film editing, movie stars at their best and brightest, an unbelievably strong supporting cast, exotic locales, even though it was all filmed on the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank, a passionate love story, an air of mystery, and characters sacrificing their own happiness for a greater cause. All debuting at the start of America's involvement in World War II. And, of course, it features a wonderful score by Max Steiner, who at the time was at the height of his game. But Max Steiner hated the picture. Well, okay, he didn't hate it. He really disliked this assignment because he didn't like the music that he was given to work with, and he was extremely vocal in his complaints to the producer. He was at the time employed by warner brothers as a staff composer and indeed casablanca was his job he was producer halby wallace's favorite composer his top choice for casablanca and steiner was already kind of a legend at the time having already won an oscar for the informer and in fact was about to go win another one for now voyager completed before casablanca not to mention that he had scored gone with the wind King Kong, and an endless list of movies for Warner Brothers.
4: If there's something timeless about Casablanca, there is something timeless about that music that just reaches inside of you.
5: One of my favorite composers of all time is Max Steiner. And I think the score for Casablanca is one of the greatest scores he's ever written.
4: Steiner almost single-handedly defined what film composing was when he scored King Kong in
6: 1933.
4: And his crowning achievement was in 1939 with Gone with the Wind.
5: The music in Casablanca, like everything else, is shameless theatricality. Like every time the Germans enter, you know, the way the music almost does the dun, 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 dun.
1: And then people talk. You know, (laughs) he did that, you know. Steiner's music is the glue that holds the film together. Take the music out of it, and you couldn't watch it.
4: He provided the film with a backstory and a theme that was literally unforgettable and unresistible.
0: So why did he dislike working on Casablanca? And why would I cover a score that the composer himself is not particularly fond of? Well, I'll answer the latter question first. If Casablanca represents Steiner phoning it in, which, okay, it doesn't really. He was a passionate man whose life was defined by his work even when he was alive, not just as the legend he became. And though he might have grumbled about it, Steiner undoubtedly took pride in all of his work. So if Casablanca, it's better to say, represents a composer doing his job under unhappy circumstances, and it turns out that that result is still brilliant, then it is truly a testament to his craftsmanship. His ability to use music so effectively. Steiner's score is inseparable from the tone of Casablanca, which we'll demonstrate. And it fully displays every classic Steiner technique perfectly. And in this way, it's very much a product of its time. Casablanca, as a movie, is kind of the antithesis of something called the auteur theory in filmmaking. An idea that was popularized by the French New Wave of cinema. And it's one that I certainly grew up with. I'm sure you're familiar with it as well. And it's the idea... goes like this that a film has an unmistakable stamp left upon it by its director like a singular vision that is immediately obvious you think of filmmakers like alfred hitchcock tarantino burton lucas spielberg etc casablanca stands out as the opposite of that idea it is a product of a studio system that made movies like a factory in fact It was just one of around 50 movies that Warner Brothers made in 1942 alone. And they made around 50 or so movies every year.
3: It seems incredible now, but every major studio made a picture a week, 50 pictures a year. When we were shooting Casablanca, it was just one of the 50.
1: It was one of 50 films being made by Warner Brothers at that time. It was just another movie, and no one thought it was anything special.
5: Every motion picture has a different backstage story to tell, and I think for such a chaotic production, Casablanca is one of the best told narratives I've ever witnessed as an audience and as a fan. You know, people wonder, well, what is it about Casablanca that makes it so popular in perpetuity. There must be some
3: reasons it's a very nice film, but what is it? I think it's a glorious example
4: of the old studio system at work. The studio system during the 1920s, 30s, and into the 40s has been called a factory. And it was a factory. Hollywood made films like Detroit used to make automobiles. And only the models were different. And at Warner Brothers, they were Cadillacs. And Oldsmobiles were made at Fox. And you had a lot of people under contract
3: and full-time employees. And that included the writers, the directors, the editors, the stars. So everything was all included in their little city.
1: Film in those days was a highly collaborative medium. A lot of people contributed a great deal to all of these films.
6: It was like a really, really well-cogged machine. Everything was in place. And I think that Casablanca is the perfect example of this happening. You have people at the absolute top of their games.
4: Look at the talent involved. Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Hal Wallace, Michael Curtiz. Max Steiner, the art department, the editing department. This is the best of the 1940s, the best of World War II, the best of that factory town. And from that came movie magic.
0: The mastery of the art department, the editors, the set builders, the cinematographer and camera and lighting crew, wardrobe, makeup, the actors who were contracted to the studio to appear in all of their pictures, and, of course, the staff composers in the music department. So many people had a hand in Casablanca's success that it's amazing how it all came together into one cohesive, incredible film, one that is still very entertaining decades and decades later. Why? Why is it so entertaining? What makes Casablanca so great? Well, this takes a longer time to answer. And along the way, we'll talk about Steiner's work on the project and why he had certain feelings toward it. Let's go back to the very beginning of this fascinating project, because doing so will reveal some really great behind-the-scenes stories. First of all, we have to start with the brothers Warner. Harry, Albert, Sam, and Jack Warner. Jewish immigrants from Poland who came to America as young children. And as adults, they were running their own business, the movie company Warner Brothers. And they were absolutely sick over the atrocities being committed by Hitler and the Nazis in Europe during the 1930s, years before the United States got involved in the war. Because of their strong feelings about the Nazis, the Warner Brothers decided to use their company to fight them at a time in America where this just wasn't popular. In 1938, they put out a very strong anti-Nazi film called Confessions of a Nazi Spy, an FBI suspense drama starring Edward G. Robinson, one of their biggest contracted stars. Well, this infuriated Germany, of course, but it also infuriated the rest of Hollywood as other studios around town stood to lose a ton of money if American films were no longer allowed to be distributed in Germany. The brothers even received death threats over the release of the film. But release it they did. And if you watch it today, it's chilling.
6: A lot of us
3: Americans went overseas and fought you Germans because we thought that the Constitution and the Bill of Rights was worth fighting for. (laughs) Why don't you answer his questions? Why do you shout him down? And who are you? What do you want? I am an American of German birth, and there are hundreds of thousands like me who stand absolutely against you Nazis. You people make democracy a fanatical faith. It's no use arguing with you. The force is the only force is the only language you will understand. And we'll speak to you in your own language soon enough. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've got a right to speak up in open meeting. This is a free country. Sure, we're oh, gonna keep it that way. You guys
0: are watching! Me. Meanwhile, in 1938, as that movie was coming out, a high school teacher from Central Commercial High School in Manhattan traveled to Vienna with his wife to help their Jewish relatives smuggle money out of Nazi-occupied Austria. From there, they went to the Mediterranean and learned all about the trail that refugees escaping from the Nazis trying to get to America were being forced to take. In order to get to the United States, they had to go through Lisbon, but they couldn't go directly there. So refugees had to go a long way around through the Mediterranean, through the top of the African continent, including a stop in, ta-da, Casablanca, a city in Vichy-controlled French Morocco. So upset by this experience, this high school teacher named Murray Burnett, along with his writing partner, Joan Allison, wrote a play about it called Everybody Comes to Rick's about a nightclub he had seen with his wife in the south of France and decided to set this play, all about refugees escaping the Nazis, in Casablanca on the refugee trail. Based upon the travels of playwright Murray Burnett, Everybody Comes to Rick's was a story born
3: directly out of the fear and chaos of a people without hope. Well, originally, he and his wife had gone over to Europe, and this was in the the late 30s, and uh, uh, his wife had relatives there, and he was able to see firsthand in Vienna and elsewhere what was happening with the refugee movement. I was upset. I had no idea I was going to write a play, uh, an anti-Nazi play uh, or a political play. I, I just was—I was ill. I literally got ill.
0: It's a story about a nightclub owner, Rick Blaine, and his nightclub in Casablanca called Rick's Cafe American. The play was completed in 1940 and strongly featured a song that Burnett and Allison chose, an older tune called As Time Goes By, which was originally written by songwriter Herman Hupfeld for a 1931 play called Everybody's Welcome. The song has a nice melody. It goes like this.
6: You must remember this. A kiss is just a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh.
0: As time goes by. Like many of Hupfeld's other tunes, including When Yuba Plays the Rumba on the Tuba, or Let's Put Out the Lights and Go to Sleep, As Time Goes By had already faded into relative obscurity. But the playwrights Burnett and Allison had it in their script, regardless. The play, sadly, was never produced. A deal fell through with the playwrights, and ultimately, Burnett and Allison's literary agents decided to shop the script around, including to the major Hollywood studios. Now, this is where the two stories come together Warner Brothers and this play. Tragically, the United States woke up to the Warner Brothers' way of thinking regarding the Nazis and their allies when Pearl Harbor was attacked on December 7, 1941. It changed everything about public opinion, and the U.S. entered World War II shortly after. Now, that attack, like I said, was on December 7th. On December 8th, Burnett and Allison's play, Everyone Comes to Rick's, was reviewed by a reader at Warner Brothers, who immediately sent it to his boss, the powerful producer Hal B. Wallace, and recommended it as a good candidate for a screenplay. So, of course, the script was greenlit almost immediately. This is Warner Brothers we're talking about, the studio that prided itself in fighting the Nazis. They'd been doing it for years at this point. It was part of their identity, part of their DNA. It didn't take long for Wallace to get Everyone Comes to Rick's into production, with the character of Rick being written for up-and-coming star Humphrey Bogart. To give the project a little more of an exotic allure, the title was changed from Everyone Comes to Rick's to Casablanca, most likely because of the success of a United Artists film called Algiers from just a few years before. On May 25th, 1942, Casablanca began filming on the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank. The movie factory, the well-oiled machine that was the old Hollywood studio system, was hard at work making history on the Warner Brothers lot. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to The Soundtrack Show. Casablanca is endlessly entertaining and hugely influential. For me, it served as one of the gateway movies that opened up my initial interest in classic Hollywood films, along with amazing classic Hollywood film music. If you haven't seen Casablanca, you're in for a treat. Back to our behind-the-scenes stories. While in production... Casablanca came together beautifully because it was being made by factory workers who were level 90 movie-making wizards who knew exactly what they were doing. This also included a series of script writers. Besides having its basic framework from the play from Murray and Allison, other writers were also brought in, such as the Epstein twins, Howard Koch, and even Hal Wallace himself adding lines. The basic plot synopsis, or really just the setup for Casablanca, goes like this. We see the long trail that refugees from Paris must take to escape the Nazis, going along the top of Africa to Casablanca, as I mentioned before, all desperately trying to book passage to Lisbon so that they may finally escape to America. In Casablanca, corruption is the rule, as people desperately sell jewelry, possessions, or even themselves in order to buy exit visas, or as the film calls them, letters of transit, to get out of Casablanca. They wait and wait and wait. Many refugees, including wealthy cultural elites, are stuck there trying to buy their way out. All of the action centers around a nightclub called Rick's Café American, where we see pickpockets, drunkards, gamblers, refugees of all kinds, parasitic entrepreneurs that prey upon the desperate, even French prefects and Nazi officers looking for spies and members of the resistance, truly, Everyone comes to Rick's. At the top of the movie, we find out that two German couriers were murdered just outside of Casablanca, and police are rounding up the usual suspects looking for the murderer. Nazi officers arrive in Casablanca out of concern, and the local French authority, played by one of my favorite actors, Claude Rains, takes them to Rick's, knowing that that is where the action is. At Rick's, we meet the club owner, Rick Blaine, played by Bogart, a mysterious, no-nonsense, but charming American who, who looks after his customers. One customer is played by character actor Peter Lorre, who has the ultimate, irrefutable letters of transit. And he asks Rick to hide them somewhere in the club for him to pick up later.
3: Will you keep these for me, please? For how long? Oh, perhaps an hour, perhaps a little longer. I don't want them here overnight. Hmm. Don't be afraid of that, please keep them for me. Thank you, I knew I could trust you. Yeah, I heard a rumor those two German couriers were carrying letters of transit. Hmm? Oh, I've heard that rumor, too. Poor devils. As you're right, O'Gardy, I am a little more impressed with you.
0: Rick hides them in his friend Sam's piano in the middle of the club, near the rest of the bandstand. But only after we learn that these letters came from those two murdered German couriers, and Laurie's character is the murderer. The French police arrange the arrest at Rick's in front of the German officers as a dramatic display to win favor, But things with the Nazis get tense as a famous resistance leader named Victor Laszlo walks into the club, played by actor Paul Henried. He came there to secretly meet the just arrested Laurie character in order to obtain said letters of transit. Though it's risky to be so out in the open, Casablanca is, according to the story, technically neutral territory, so the Nazis don't arrest him openly for a variety of reasons. But what interests us, the audience, is that Laszlo is accompanied by his wife. Ilsa Lund, played perfectly by Swedish actress Ingrid Bergman. And this is when the action really kicks in. You see, Ilsa, Laszlo's wife, and Rick, Humphrey Bogart, who owns the cafe, used to be lovers and were in Paris together as a couple. It all fell apart when the Nazis invaded Paris in May of 1940, and Rick and Ilsa, planning to escape together, never saw each other again after Rick was stood up at the train station. Now that he sees her, married to a resistance leader, in his club, in a different part of the world, with the Nazis and local French police applying pressure, this love triangle drama really starts to get interesting. And it's wildly entertaining, filled with classic one-liners.
3: I've often speculated on why you don't return to America. Did you abscond with the church funds? Did you run off with the senator's wife? I like to think that you killed a man. It's the romantic in me. It's a combination of all three what in heaven's name brought you to Casablanca? My health. I came to Casablanca for the waters. The waters? What waters? We're in the desert. I was misinformed. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Unofficially, of course. Make it official, if you like. What is your nationality? I'm a drunkard. Are you one of those people who cannot imagine the Germans and their beloved Paris? It's not particularly my beloved Paris.
6: Can you imagine us in London?
3: When you get there, ask me. How can he close me up? On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here.
1: You're winning, sir. Oh,
3: thank you very much. Everybody out at once. Call off your watchdogs, you said. Just the same. You call the airport and let me hear you tell them. And remember, this gun is pointed right at your heart. That is my least vulnerable spot. Hilda, I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Someday you'll understand that. No, no. He's looking at you, kid. Round up the usual suspects. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship.
0: But even as strong as the script was, in this Hollywood factory, nobody knew during production how this movie was going to end.
1: No one knew how the film was going to end until the final day of shooting. They didn't have the story worked out.
5: Through my association here at Universal Studios, being a television director, I knew the Epsteins, and I heard those stories from the authors themselves. All the dialogue and all the particulars of who the characters became to each other was literally made up on a daily basis. They didn't know whether Bogart would get the girl or Paul Henry would get the girl. And everybody was very grouchy. Bogart would retreat to his trailer and sulk, and Bergman was trying to play it in between.
1: Poor Ilsa caught between these two men. Their confusion about what was going to happen in the story lends itself to make the story even better because the characters had no idea what was going to happen.
3: It's still a story without an ending. What about now?
1: Now?
0: I don't know. Ultimately, they figured it out. I won't spoil it for you, but the finished script was shot and completed on August 3rd of 1942, and part of filming included a lot of musical numbers, some pre-recorded, and some captured live on the set with actor Dooley Wilson singing while the cameras were rolling. Keep in mind that while we see this as a historical piece, this was a truly contemporary and incredibly timely film. Because of this, producer Hal Wallace wanted Rick's Café to feel like a hot, modern nightclub, so he filled it with contemporary hits, such as It Had to Be You,
6: It had to be you, it had to be you, I've wandered around and finally found somebody who…
0: And even commissioned a new song for the film, Knock on Wood.
6: trouble we got how much trouble too much trouble well now don't you frown just knuckle down and knock on wood who's unhappy we're unhappy how unhappy too unhappy oh that won't do when you are blue just knock on wood
0: by the way max steiner has yet to be assigned to the picture so let's keep that in mind for later Both of these were pre-records, meaning that they were recorded before principal photography, and then once they got to the set, they were played back and the actors just lip-synced as the cameras were rolling. Other famous tunes appeared throughout the film, sometimes just as medleys by the band, meaning that they were all mixed together, such as Love for Sale, Avalon, You Must Have Been a Beautiful Baby, I'm Just Wild About Harry, and Heaven Can Wait. Then there were tunes that were recorded live on camera, which means that the actors were singing and being recorded live while there was a piano player on set. And the most important live recording was the song that survived from the initial play, As Time Goes By. Now, the song As Time Goes By made it to the stage for a couple of reasons. One, it was in the initial script that Warner Brothers purchased, but two, they owned the rights. It was part of the Warner Brothers catalog, that song, so they decided to leave it in. But As Time Goes By is recorded live on the set. And even more important, it's actually part of the plot. It's part of the spoken dialogue. Let's take a listen.
3: Play it once, Sam. For all time's sake.
0: I don't know what you mean, Miss Elsa. Play
6: it, Sam. Play as time goes by. Oh, I can't remember it, Miss Elsa. I'm a little rusted
2: I'll hum it for you. <coughs>
6: You must remember this A kiss is just a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As
0: time goes by So it turns out, this song was hugely important to Rick and Ilsa during their love affair in Paris. It was their song it's hugely important to the plot of the picture. Thematically, this song is a big deal in Casablanca. So now, enter composer Max Steiner. Steiner was assigned to Casablanca on July 11, 1942, though he didn't begin working on it until August 24, just a few weeks after photography had wrapped. And Steiner was beside himself when he learned about the main song featured in the film's plot, That forgotten gem as time goes by. Here's an excerpt from Peter Wegele's book, Max Steiner, Composing, Casablanca, and the Golden Age of Film Music. Quote, Max Steiner hated the song from the beginning, and his third wife, Louise Steiner, recalled that when he came home one day, he said, they have the lousiest tune, they already have it recorded, and they want me to use it. And it went on to become so popular Of course, Max worked it up beautifully in his score and developed it wonderfully, but he despised it. He was mad when he heard it, but he was stuck because they had already recorded it. Steiner's reaction was understandable, since As Time Goes By has a central dramatic function in the story. It is used more than 20 times in the film. For a film composer, it is hardly rewarding to have to rely so heavily on someone else's material. But because Steiner had started his work after the film had more or less finished shooting, he was forced to use the song. It had already been performed on film. Had Steiner insisted on using another song, or one of his own, the studio would have been forced to reshoot many scenes, including every scene in which Dooley Wilson had already appeared on film singing it. In the preface to his book, Casablanca, Script and Legend, Richard Brown says that Steiner almost got his way, Eventually, Brown writes, Steiner prevailed and the producers agreed to reshoot the scenes completely. Preparations were made and the actors were called back. But then the plan fell apart. Ingrid Bergman had just cut her hair for the role of Maria in For Whom the Bell Tolls, and the new shots would not have matched. The notion was abandoned. Harlan Lebo considers this story wishful thinking in his book, Casablanca, Behind the Scenes. He pointed out that it would have been almost unheard of for a producer to agree to call back his principal actress, who had only been loaned to him by another studio in the first place, only as a favor to his composer. That's quite a commentary on the lack of political power of film composers. The book goes on to say, regardless of how it happened, as time goes by remained in the film, much to Steiner's displeasure. End quote. Now, besides hating the melody or objecting to as time goes by for musical or artistic reasons there was most likely another reason why Steiner objected to as time goes by. You guessed it, money. If Steiner had penned the song, a song so heavily featured in the plot as to be identifiable as the movie's main theme, he most likely would have had a top 40 hit on his hands. Here's another quote from Wigeli's book. Quote, Steiner's objection to the song most likely also had a financial component. Film composers earn little in the way of royalties for the actual cues, which sometimes last only a few seconds. By contrast, the royalties for songs placed in movies are much larger. Steiner had written the song It Can't Be Wrong based on his award-winning, now Voyager theme, which managed to sell quite well for quite a while, and he would have been pleased to repeat his success with a song popularized by this new film. But as an employee of Warner Brothers, Steiner had no choice but to do the music for Casablanca the way it was assigned, whether he liked it or not. It goes on to say, How Wallace writes in his memoirs, Steiner continued to resist the song. I also had problems with the composer of the score, Max Steiner, Wallace recalled. Even before he started work, he told me he hated the song As Time Goes By, obviously upset because he had to use someone else's theme. I insisted he accepted. Steiner grumblingly began his work. Under great pressure and with countless arguments, Steiner produced a rich, romantic score. Due to Casablanca's success, As Time Goes By, a song that had not been heard for more than 10 years, landed on the top ten list of the NBC radio show Your Hit Parade for 21 weeks. And for four weeks, in April and May of 1943, it was number one. End quote. But in spite of his feelings toward the material, Max Steiner began his work on Casablanca, and what he produced became one of his most iconic scores of all time and launched the story of Casablanca into Hollywood legend. The Soundtrack Show will continue in a moment. We return now to The Soundtrack Show. It's
6: still the same old story, a fight for love and glory, a case of do or die.
1: Max Steiner hated the song. He wanted to have them reshoot scenes and take that song out. And they actually contemplated doing it.
4: Hal Wallace, Jack Warner, and the rest of them have Ingrid Bergman to thank for not having that theme change because the scene with Bergman humming.
6: Da-da-da-da-da-da.
4: That had already been shot and she had already gotten her haircut for for Whom the Bell Toll, so they couldn't reshoot that. They couldn't change the movie. Steiner,
1: who could not take As Time Goes By out, instead employing his genius, made it a theme for the whole rest of the film. He took it and used it in various places and he curved it and underlined it to make a point. Steiner's use of As Time Goes By as a kind of classical music motif has made it
0: perhaps one of the most popular American songs ever. Even though there's a ton of diegetic music in Casablanca, Steiner's score is still the most memorable music that we hear throughout the film. Even though there are long stretches when his score isn't needed, because we're hearing so much nightclub music, his score still acts like dramaturgical glue for our main story. How did he do that? How did he keep the score from feeling disjointed, considering that it comes and goes throughout the picture? The answer is leitmotifs, themes. There are two dominant themes that weave their way through Casablanca's score. The first is the French national anthem, La Marseillaise. Steiner uses this as a symbol of freedom a symbol of resistance and he masterfully weaves its melody into his score as an intellectual commentary for the audience on what's going on with the political plot when played proudly it's a moment of character triumph when played sadly it's a moment of defeat sometimes it's even overtaken by other themes to demonstrate what's happening in the plot let's take a listen now to the opening of the movie casablanca First, we get Max Steiner's fanfare for the Warner Brothers Shield, which still can be heard today in home video releases, etc. He started using it in 1937 with a film called Tovarich and used it in over 100 pictures for Warner Brothers. Then, we move into music that suggests an exotic locale in northern Africa. was actually borrowed from another Steiner score. Here's another quote from Peter Wagelli's book. Quote, Because of the speed with which the scores had to be produced, film music in this era developed a large number of habits, formulas, and cliches. These included the brass-blasting main title which often contained a special fanfare, or flair for the producers' credit, the love theme, and the glamorizing of heroines by the use of beautiful string motifs. Max Steiner, with his antipathy to the entire Casablanca project, made extensive use of these musical patterns. He pulled the beginning of his title music, for Casablanca, from the film The Lost Patrol from 1934, which he had written before. Author Rudy Bellmer recognizes an older connection in this piece of music, noting that the, quote, Morocco milieu set forth in the main title music was a reorchestration of Steiner's North Africa desert music composed for The Lost Patrol. End quote. Now, as we move on in the opening credits, where we are treated to the names of stars, director, producer, etc., we also see a credit title for composer Max Steiner. Maybe it was his flair for the dramatic, maybe it was to make himself feel better about using material from other sources in his score, but when his name appears on screen, we get our first appearance of La Marseillaise. Though it ends with a deceptive cadence, a tritone away, into a refugee theme, which starts with an augmented chord as the narrator describes the refugee trail from Paris to Casablanca.
2: With the coming of the Second World War, many eyes in imprisoned Europe turned hopefully, or desperately, toward the freedom of the Americas. Lisbon became the great embarkation point, but not everybody could get to Lisbon directly and so a tortuous roundabout refugee trail sprang up. Paris to Marseille. Across the Mediterranean to Oran. Then by train or auto or foot across the rim of Africa to Casablanca In French Morocco, here the fortunate ones, through money or influence or luck, might obtain exit visas and scurry to Lisbon, and from Lisbon to the New World. But the others wait in Casablanca, and wait, and wait, and wait.
0: Later, as we move into Casablanca and our opening action scene, we're treated to a different national anthem, making a rare appearance the first few notes of the german national anthem deutschland lead And it transitions us from our Moroccan street scene into a French police station where a French police officer is reading an all-points bulletin to apprehend a murderer.
5: Round up all suspicious characters and search them for stolen document.
0: This is followed by rolling percussion to build suspense. But by giving us the German national anthem, Steiner is communicating to us that these vichy french police officers are in fact under nazi control as the scene plays out a suspect just a suspect is gunned down in the street right in front of a poster of marshal patton the head of the vichy government that was collaborating with the nazis <laughs> As the man dies and the police find paperwork on the dead man containing the symbol of the Nazi resistance, we transition to the Palace of Justice in Casablanca and we hear, you guessed it, La Marseillaise. This time, it plays over a sign that's posted on the palace that says, Liberty, Equality, and Fraternity with the La Marseillaise melody playing in A minor, sadly, with low strings. This is commentary that, of course, there is no liberty, equality, or fraternity in Vichy-controlled Casablanca, in French Africa, as we've clearly seen in the opening. A suspect was gunned down by the French police. This is how Steiner operates within this whole score. He gives us themes that we already have an intellectual connection with. He uses leitmotifs, to reinforce the visual and scripted themes in the movie's plot. La Marseillaise is used throughout Casablanca, but there is one scene in the movie that is really one for the history books, and we absolutely must examine it in detail. First of all, the plot of Casablanca takes place over three nights. It's almost like three acts. And in the second act, the second night at Rick's in Casablanca, the Nazi officers are all there, Rick is there, Ilsa is there, the French officer Renaud is there, and resistance leader Victor Laszlo is there, trying to convince Rick to give him the letters of transit that he knows Rick is in possession of. Anyway, as they're talking, they see that the Nazis have commandeered the piano and are loudly singing a patriotic German song, Die Wacht am Rhein, or The Watch on the River Rhine," which was popular during the Franco-Prussian War and in World War I. And of course, it is very, very unsettling for the French immigrants or for any immigrant in the cafe at that moment because they are powerless against the Nazis who have essentially ruined their lives. It's why they're there. Everyone looks disturbed by it, but doesn't dare do anything. And suddenly, Laszlo, being the resistance leader he is, decides to do something. He marches over to the bandstand, where the rest of the band is sitting silently, in horror, and tells them to play La Marseillaise, as an act of defiance against the singing Nazis, and of course, as a symbol of resistance. The unsure musicians look at Rick who subtly nods the OK, and the band starts to play it. Laszlo starts singing La Marseillaise at the top of his lungs and immediately is joined by passionate cafe patrons who rise from their seats, singing with tears streaming down their faces. Not to be outdone, however, the Nazi officer tells his men to sing louder. But soon, the whole cafe is drowning them out, singing the French national anthem at the top of their lungs. The Nazis have been symbolically defeated, and to retaliate, they close Rick's Cafe down. Wow, it's powerful. No wonder Max Steiner picked up on this and decided to use it as a main theme in his film. Now, there are two things that we may not realize about this particular scene. Two things that make it so great. First of all, as film critic Pauline Kael points out, only three of the 15 main cast members of Casablanca were born in America. The rest, like actor Paul Henreid, were immigrants. In fact, almost the whole cast of extras and supporting leads were all immigrants, and almost all had come to America in the 30s because of the Nazis. Now that's casting. When you listen to the accents in that movie, you're not hearing fake European accents. You're hearing the real thing. And when you watch this scene... And you see the emotion in every person's face up on that crowded screen. That emotion's real. You can feel it. It's part of what makes it one of the most memorable scenes in Hollywood history. Not to mention that Casablanca debuted right as the real Casablanca was making headlines. The movie came out in November of 42. Well, President Roosevelt and Prime Minister Winston Churchill met in Casablanca for an important conference in January of 43. That scene is the right moment in the right movie at the right time. The second thing that makes that scene so magical can be credited to Max Steiner and the wisdom of producer Hal Wallace. As the music swells in the scene, listen carefully. You're not just hearing the music of a small band in a club, you know, like an accordion and some horns and a little drum kit. You're hearing an entire orchestra sneak in underneath to really drive the emotion of the music in this scene. (laughs) that is a great example of a blending of film score and diegetic music, still very cutting-edge for its time. We'll hear a bit more of La Marcier's in a little while, but now we have to move on to the movie's main musical theme, the one that we've been building up to now during this entire discussion. Regardless of Steiner's feelings about as time goes by, being a professional and knowing that it is central to the movie's plot He masterfully uses it far more extensively than any other piece of melodic material in this score. Dozens of times, sometimes as fragments, sometimes as full statements, the melody of As Time Goes By can be heard throughout Casablanca to heighten the drama. Now let's listen to how all of this unfolds, together with La Marseillaise. First, we hear a standard recording from the set of Casablanca as actor Dooley Wilson sings it to Ingrid Bergman. You
6: must remember this A kiss is just a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by and when two lovers woo They still say I love you On that you can rely
0: As he does, Rick rushes over and demands that he stops playing
6: I no what the future brings As time goes by
3: Sam, I thought I told you never to play
0: but he's interrupted when he sees Bergman's character, Ilsa. We hear what I call Ilsa's Chord, a mixture of wonder and open-ended suspense, almost shock at seeing her, followed by an oboe playing a modified, minor-key version of the melody that Sam, Dooley Wilson's character, just introduced to us as time goes by.
3: Well, you are asking about Rick, and here he is. Mademoiselle, may I present... uh, Hello, Ilsa. Hello, Rick.
0: And now, without even knowing the full story as an audience and certainly not knowing the history of these two people, we now know because of the film score, and as well as Bogart's reaction, that this one-time sweet romance must have soured. As Time Goes By continues as Underscore, along with Ilsa's chord, constantly modified harmonically to sound suspenseful as Rick tries to keep his cool in front of Prefect Renault.
3: Oh, you've already met Rick, mademoiselle. Well, then uh, perhaps you also- This is Mr. Laszlo. How do you do? How do you do? Well, here's a great deal about Rick in Casablanca and about Victor Laszlo everywhere. Won't you join us for a drink? Oh, no, Rick, Thanks, I will.
6: Well, a precedent is being broken. Uh, Emil.
0: Only when Ilsa talks about when she and Rick last saw each other do we hear a lush string version of As Time Goes By. But it's interrupted as we learn that their romance was interrupted by the Nazi invasion of Paris.
2: I wasn't sure you were the same. Let's see, the last time we met...
0: Was La Bella Roar...
2: How nice, you remember.
3: Right here.
2: But of course, that was the day the Germans marched into Paris.
3: Not an easy day to forget. No. I remember every detail. The Germans wore gray, you wore blue.
2: Yes, I put that dress away. When the Germans march out, I'll wear it again.
3: Ricky, you're becoming quite human. I suppose we have to thank you
6: for that, Mademoiselle.
0: Later that night, we see Rick completely heartbroken, vulnerable to us for the first time, and getting drunk. Sam tries to get him to go home, but instead he orders Sam to sit and play as time goes by at his piano.
3: What's that you playing? Oh, just a little something of my own. I'll oh, stop it, you know what I want to hear.
6: No,
0: don't.
3: You played it for her, you played it for me.
6: Well, I don't think I can remember. If she can stand it, I can.
3: Play it.
2: Yes, boss.
0: As Sam plays, we're thrown into a flashback of Paris in 1940. We see Arc de Triomphe, am I saying that right? The Arc of Triumph in Paris, and we hear a full-blown glory days version of La Marseillaise to set up Paris during a happier time. We quickly get modulating happy romantic treatments of As Time Goes By, as it moves into Steiner's own romantic melodies. This montage shows the two of them driving, dancing, and finally sharing a romantic bottle of champagne. All the while, fragments of As Time Goes By can be heard. Here it's interrupted by source music as the two dance at a French nightclub, the song Perfidia. Then Steiner takes over again with a passionate, modified version of As Time Goes By.
6: Frank,
2: for your thoughts.
3: In America, they'd bring only a penny in. <laughs> I guess that's about all they're worth.
2: Well, I'm willing to be overcharged.
3: Tell me. Well, I was wondering. Yes. Why I'm so lucky, why I should find you waiting for me to come along.
0: Later, after the invasion has begun, we hear a tortured version of As Time Goes By, as Ilsa seems troubled.
2: That's too far ahead to plan.
3: Yes, I guess it is a little too far ahead. Well, let's see, Uh, what about the engineer? Why can't he marry us on the train? Darling. (laughs) why not? The captain on the ship can, it doesn't seem fair that... Hey. Hey, what's wrong, kid?
2: You
0: so much. We're gonna learn later in the movie that it's because she just found out that her husband Victor, presumed dead in a concentration camp, is actually alive, and she doesn't know how to tell Rick. We cut to a Paris train station, and Ilsa is nowhere in sight. We hear low brass play a minor melody of La Marseillaise. Paris is falling. <laughs> Sam arrives and gives Rick a note from Ilsa explaining why she's not going to be there. As he reads, we hear La Marseillaise and As Time Goes By play together, and the note appears to cry in the rain.
6: She checked out of the hotel, but this note came just after you left. Last call, Mr. Richard. Do you hear me? Come on, Mr. Richard. Let's get out. Of here. Come on, Mr. Richard. Come on.
0: As the two friends get on the train without Ilsa, low brass accentuates the drama, and we fade back to present day with Rick drunk. He knocks over a glass, and Sam stops playing as time goes by, interrupting Rick's memories. Suddenly, Ilsa appears and her Ilsa chord plays again as we see her, like a ghost, a lost love. As time goes by, plays again, modified.
6: Believe me, Rick, it's true, I didn't know. It's
3: funny about your voice, how it hasn't changed. I can still hear it. Richard, dear, I'll go with you any place. We'll get on a train together and never stop. Don't, Rick. I can understand how you feel. You understand how I feel? How long was it we had, honey? I didn't count the days. Well, I did. Every one of them.
0: The scene ends with As Time Goes By, as Ilsa slams the door, leaving Rick alone to his misery.
3: Who was it you left me for? Was it Laszlo, or were there others in between? Aren't you the kind that tells?
0: his head down, we hear La Marseillaise played mournfully.
3: I strongly suspect that you, left the letters of transit with Mr. Blaine. I would suggest you search the café immediately and thoroughly.
0: Perhaps because we're cutting to the Palace of Justice, or perhaps it's because the memory of Paris and Rick and Ilse's love affair has collapsed.
5: It just gets your heart when it makes you, you know, when, when you're about ready to cry, Max Center comes in and those tears start to flow.
2: If you knew how much I loved you.
6: How much I
0: still love you. Max Steiner's score for Casablanca tells a story of French resistance, of desperate immigrants, of complex politics, and an even more complex love story. It is masterfully done, and is one of the reasons why Casablanca is the number two movie on the American Film Institute's top 100 American movies. Though it may have been an obligation for Max Steiner at the time, he turned a movie filled with complex diegetic music into a movie whose score outshines every single one of those songs. His genius, and the genius behind the crew responsible for Casablanca, is why this movie has been loved by so many generations. Thank you. The Soundtrack Show is an iHeartRadio podcast. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.